Witness to Dignity is a book by the Reverend Russell Levinson, our guest on Personally Speaking. Stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and the Reverend Russell J. Levinson, Jr. joins me now. Reverend Levinson has served as rector of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston since 2007. With 10,000 members, St. Martin's is the largest Episcopal Church in North America. In 2018, Reverend Levinson officiated and preached at the memorial service at St. Martin's for the late First Lady of the United States, Barbara Bush. Later that same year, he co-officiated and preached at the state funeral for President George H.W. Bush at both Washington National Cathedral and the Houston-based memorial service held at St. Martin's. President and Mrs. Bush were active members of St. Martin's Episcopal Church for over 50 years and served in many roles of leadership and ministry. Reverend Levinson has written a great new book called Witness to Dignity, The Life and Faith of George H.W. and Barbara Bush. The book is a personal and eyewitness account of the character, integrity, service, faith, and dignity of George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush, written by their priest, their pastor, and their friend. Reverend Levinson is married to his wife, Laura, and the other parents of three adult children. He's here with us today to tell us about the faith and character of our 41st president, George H.W. Bush, and his great first lady, Barbara Bush. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, the Reverend Dr. Russell J. Levinson, Jr. We're here with the, the Reverend Russell Levinson, and we're talking about a book that he has written about Barbara and George Bush, which is magnificent. And I'm going to encourage our listeners and watchers to please get a hold of the book. It's called Witness to Dignity and talks about a side of them that we don't always know. People know them because of their political lives, but their spiritual lives and how that fed their generosity and goodness is is what Russ talks about in this book. Before we get into uh, George and Barbara Bush, though, I want to talk for a minute about you. One of the questions that almost everybody in ministry gets somewhere along the line is, uh, you know, when did you get the call? And I'm just wondering, in your own background, was faith something that you were handed by parents and family, or was it something you came to on your own? A, a little bit of both, as as is often the case. Um, um, my father, who uh, was a, a single dad for a while, um, raised my two sisters and I to be very faithful in church attendance in the Episcopal Church. Uh, and um, and as I got older, uh, and he actually uh, remarried my stepmother. Uh, they both, that was a very important part of our life together as a family. And so I was steeped in the church, but frankly, grew up in the late 60s, early 70s. Mm. When, as you will remember, I, I think it, we kind of generously called it the Jesus movement, when lots of groups like Young Life and Fellowship of Christian Athletes and things like that were turning younger teens onto a relationship with our Lord. And um, and the more I heard about that, the, you know, I had gone through the sacramental steps. I had been baptized. I had been confirmed. Um, but I really, I, I think at a, a point in my late teens, I made that uh, kind of made that in a more personal way. So the, the baptism and confirmation caught up to me, so to speak. And um, 
but I, I grew up in a retail family. So for many years, thought I would be working with my dad. But the older I got, the more I was drawn toward ministry. And shortly after graduating from college, uh, my wife and I together went to talk to my father and said, I think we're not going to head down this path. And um, and my father said, are you sure? And I said, yes, sir. I think we're sure. And he said, well, good that I'm going to sell my business and retire. So, <laughs> uh, And then off to seminary, we went, my wife and two children and I. And um, and, you know, I, I did, as we often do, I, I, I prayed that if it was not to be, the Lord would shut a door. And mm-hmm. um, what I found was the doors kept opening one after another. And when they opened, it was very clear that this was what we were supposed to do. And I absolutely love the work. Yesterday was the anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood uh, over 30 years and January 6th, I should say. Uh, but it was recognized in church yesterday. And, um, you know, that I've never had a day where I'd regretted making this decision, responding to the call, loved every day of the work, very hard days as there are in this the days I wish I didn't have to live through, but I wouldn't, I've never thought this wasn't what I was supposed to do. I've always felt that, you know, a lot of in the work. Certainly, uh, I think some of us look forward to in the Catholic churches, where is Pope Francis going to go if he does go at all in terms of opening the possibility of ministry to priests who are, are married? I mentioned because I would presume, and maybe I'm wrong, but I presume that Laura has to be all in, your wife, in order to uh, marry a guy who gets into ministry, that, that it's a shared experience. Uh, can you tell us, you know, from your, your viewpoint, um, how much is it important to have a wife on board in the kind of ministry you do? That's a great question. And I, over the last few years, particularly as I get older and get more gray hair and more wrinkles, <laughs> I'm invited to go. Uh, speak at, to seminaries and young seminarians. So we have a few seminaries across the country, and I've I've visited them, and and I will add, I'll I'll ask if we circle up. So how many of you are married? And you know hands will go up, and I'll say, now there are going to be people who tell you it really doesn't matter whether or not your spouse has dialed into it. And let me tell you, it absolutely matters. It, it, it you can't do it without your spouse. I mean, if you want to live two mutually exclusive lives, that's one thing. But as you know, this work is all consuming in a good way. And I could not have done what I've done without the, my, you know, partner in crime. <laughs> so how about this? Uh, so many of the listeners and watchers, parents, grandparents of a show, like personally speaking, uh, they love their faith. They love their God, but they haven't figured out yet. Uh, is there a particular way, a uh, right way to share the faith that we love with the children, with the grandchildren? Have you and your wife figured out a way to best plant that seed and, and help it to grow? Well, I'll tell you, Monsignor, I honestly, um, you know, we as a family we have three adult children now, um, and they uh, were brought up in the church. They were brought up in the Episcopal church. Now, they're as they get older, they're choosing their own traditions. Uh, mm-hmm. I, my daughter right now is attending a Roman Catholic church. <laughs> and and uh, I've, uh, but, um, but we prayed together as a family. And of course, the children had to endure moves. And all those moves were associated with my following the call. And so we always talked about the fact that God was calling us to a different place. And that was part of our life together. Um, but I, I do think being involved in church and, and being committed to the, the sacramental moments is really important. Going specifically to witness to dignity, I'm intrigued by how Russ Levinson prepares for homilies, especially when the people he's going to preach about uh, are, are a former president and first lady. How in the world did you put a homily together for them? 
Yeah. Well, I'm assuming you've been in this about the same amount of time I have. And I found early on um, that people in the pews can pretty easily, just to cut to the chase, sniff out pretentiousness. <laughs> that can, if you're, if it doesn't come from the heart, people know. And uh, if you're crafting it for a particular audience or, you know, whatever, uh, people know. And so I, um, steeped in that personal relationship with our Lord, um, I, my preaching was never geared toward a particular person in the pew. It was, it was, you know, I, I have a friend who says, preach uh, like there's a wounded soul in every pew. And um, and so the my sermons typically go one of two ways: either they're pastoral and, and deal with issues around forgiveness or the the mercy of God or the grace of God, or more evangelistic. We're very fortunate too to have, as as is mentioned in the book, um, uh, former Secretary of State James A. Baker the third and his wife Susan, who are very active members of the church. In fact, Secretary Baker gave a one hour forum yesterday, uh, Christian Education Forum, on their friendship. And uh, he's 92, almost 93 years old and uh, captivated in an audience of about 600 at the church yesterday. Just uh, but but again, they they are. I will say one of the things that I saw in the president and Barbara is that they were so faithful in their church attendance. And I wondered when and I mentioned this early in the book, you know, when when they first came, the first time I was there and we were there together, I wondered, well, will they be here every week or they'll be here once a month? And and if they were not traveling, if they were not ill, uh, they were in church. And um, and one of the things that we all got to witness as we sat in the pews with them is the dignity with which they aged because they didn't let age keep them from the pews. So the president went from walking upright to walking with a cane, to walking with a walker, to coming in a wheelchair. And and everybody lived that with them. Uh, and it was very important. The same thing with Jim and Susan Baker. Here are some of the most busy people in the world who have every reason in the world to say, well, you know, I've, I've been traveling the world. I've been at a conference. Or I've been giving out, you know, I, I think I'm going to miss Sunday. And they wouldn't. And if they couldn't come, they would ask me to come and bring communion. Uh, Russ Levinson has written a book, Witness to Dignity, about George and Barbara Bush. Um, you know, in the scene you paint of the uh, passing of Barbara, um, you're, you're, you're holding hands with people. You're, you're giving the former president uh, a kiss. You're you're expressing to Barbara and George love. H- has that always been your nature to be someone who's just uh, very free with expressing himself and the things that matter? I, I think so. I think so. I mean, wait, if you go back in my family tree, I have Jewish roots. <laughs> Jews are pretty good at, uh, at loving on you and letting you know where they are, good good or bad. Russ Levinson, uh, some of you may pick up by listening to this interview, is not from Brooklyn. Uh, he- <laughs> I can do Brooklyn if you want. But <laughs> yeah, he not only has spent his time now in Houston over these years, but a lot of time originally in, in Alabama. Uh, you know, for better or worse, a lot of the, the perception of the country, I guess, from movies and television about the people of Alabama is that uh, there's still prejudice and, and uh, bigotry alive. And uh, you've worked with, loved the people of, served the people of Alabama. Uh, has there been a lot of movement there in terms of the kind of people you knew years ago and the Alabama you know today? Yes, I'm, I'm so glad you you said that. My wife and I were actually listening to a radio program just the other day, and the person went off, I guess for lack of a better term, went off on Alabama. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I grew up in the 60s and so I was somewhat aware of the, the tensions that were there. I, I will say one of the interesting things about my Jewish grandfather uh, is that because of what he had experienced as a young man, he really believed that people should be all treated the same. And so he had a, a in downtown Birmingham, he had a big retail store with a lunch counter that was blocks away from 16th Street Baptist Church. But everybody knew you were welcome in his store. And so our my father's store, my grandfather's, was never a target of a, a lot of what happened during the 60s. They were just kind of outside of that. And um, and so I, my father and my grandfather both employed a number of people of color. And I often worked alongside those. My father, that was in the days before child labor laws. <laughs> existed and so my father had my father had me doing inventory at the age of nine you know with, with people in the in the stock room and so uh, it's i worked with a lot of people of color and then i was fortunate to work in in different places where you know that really spoke to me i will say growing up where i did it was a very white area i mean there were there was no color in mountain brook alabama in a suburb of alabama okay. um but um but, you know, the thing that changed my heart and shaped me around that, of course, is reading scripture and reading the epistles about how we are to treat each other the same. And um, I think I have seen as the years go on, lots of people get involved in reaching across the aisles to try to find better, you know, better way to live together, better way to see one another. I mean, we're all going to end up in our father's house. Russ Levinson is our guest. Witness the Dignity is the book we're talking about. You know, uh, you talk about in the book the uh, character, the civility, the, the graciousness of George H.W. Bush. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, I know he wanted desperately to win that 1992 re-election campaign. He loses to Bill Clinton, and they become some of the best of friends. And I tried to imagine Joe Biden and Donald Trump doing the same. Oh, and wow. I, you know, what, wow. what did about George Bush made him say, I, I can be friends with uh, someone who's my political uh, opposite, but but it's not going to interfere with our ability to to walk together. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a great point. I think one of the things I, to, to go back for just a moment on, on the racial issue or the d- diversity issue. One of the things that we saw in both we had, we had a visitation for Barbara at St. Martin's in Houston, and we had a visitation for the president at St. Martin's. Barbara resisted it, by the way. She thought she made this joke. Who's going to come to my funeral? <laughs> I was like, everybody, everybody's going to come. But when we orchestrated, both of those lasted roughly eight to 12 hours, depending on how we, they were set up. For hers, over 8,000 people. For his, over 12,000 people. And one of the things I observed and my colleagues observed, people of every language, color, religion, Jewish, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, Methodist, Baptist, Hindus, believers, probably not believers, Republicans, Democrats, independents, they were brought together. And I think what brought them together was those traits that they possessed that were born out of their own personal faith. And and what I try to do in the book is lay out this ongoing story that begins in their childhood and takes them to their last day, that the unbroken continuum was a, a, you know, not just uh, the good, they were brought up well by their parents, I think, brought up to be church people, but their faith in which they really believed it. And I, I think that's important. But you're, I, I don't include this in the book, but I've started telling this story because of the time in which we live. And it's a story that Jim Baker actually confirmed to me. You may remember uh, when President Reagan had been shot 
and was coming out of surgery. Uh, and there was an aide in the room, one of his aide, White House aides. Do you remember the first person who visited him? Do you remember who it was? It, it was Tip O'Neill, the Democratic <laughs> Speaker of the House. Okay. And, and he, he came in, he acknowledged the aide, and he, he immediately went over to President Reagan, knelt down, took his hand, recited the 23rd Psalm, prayed with him, got up, kissed him on the forehead, and said, I'm going to leave you in, now, Mr. President. Now, where are those days? Mm-hmm. Uh, here are two people who were political opponents from the get-go, you know, but that kind of incredible civility. And, I, uh, you know, I saw that in the life and the witness of, of 41 and Barbara again and again and again. They loved everybody that came their way. It was remarkable. You know, uh, some years ago, they were at uh, Hofstra University on Long Island. They were doing a uh, uh, a symposium on the Bush presidency. And on the dais, I ended up sitting next to Barbara Bush, and she was wonderful. But I, I have a nephew. I love Matthew, and I, I wanted an autograph from her. And she said, well, you know, that's nice, but it, it's much better if it's both of us to sign. I said, well, he's on the other side of the dais. We don't want to disturb the president. She said, hold on. George! <laughs> and he, you know, yes, Bob, and he, he signs the thing for my nephew, but... The, the ease with which they related to each other, the lack of pretension that you talked about. Uh, Russ Levinson's our guest, Witness to Dignity is the book. You know, um, w- several parts of the book reduce me to tears uh, because there's such tender moments of uh, the letting go, the the, uh, the turning our lives over to God. But I mentioned the fact that these are uh, incredibly intimate details of a, a passage from life to eternal life. Um, in writing the book, did you need to get the okay from the kids because this is pretty tender and important and intimately personal stuff. Yeah, I did. I, I, before I even started, I, I inquired, I said, would the, would you all be supportive? And um, uh, they all said, yes, but we want to see what you write. And so the day I, I wrote, I sat down and wrote the entire text in about 32 days uh, mm-hmm. on my computer. And <laughs> as I finished, I, you know, I had a first draft that was much longer than the book you hold in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, but I immediately sent it to all the children for their review and input. And mm-hmm. nobody, uh, uh, I think President Bush 43 had one change in one word because it was a letter he had sent to me and he knew that he had used a different word. That was the only change. And of course, Governor Bush, Jeb Bush was so kind to to write the forward to the book. Um, and he's a fam- you know a faithful Roman Catholic. And then at the Audible book, uh, and, and I, I was fortunate to do the own I did my own reading of the text of the book, but I didn't for the Ford. And um, another wonderful Roman Catholic brother, uh, Gary Sinise, has become a good friend of the years. And Gary actually read the Ford uh, for for the book and as a, as a favor to me, and for which I'm very grateful. Gary does incredible work, of course, as you know, uh, and um, it's just a sweet, wonderful, gentle guy. But yes, the family did have to approve. And, and I think I thought if we left some of those moments out, particularly the the death of Barbara and the moments that followed, if we and and the death of the president as well, then that I probably would not have written the book because frankly, they died with dignity and they died in the way I think we all would want to die, uh, surrounded by the loved ones, uh, with your pastor or your priest uh, kneeling next to you, saying the prayers at the time of death, and um, and and released peacefully and painlessly out of this world into the next. And they absolutely believed 
where they knew where they were going. I mean, that was not an issue. That, that's why I ended the book uh, kind of reflecting on what, what Christians believe about life after death. I kind of got, I, as you know, I, I kind of ended the book, uh, chapter 18, on kind of a reflection on the difference between the time in which we're living and the time in which he led. Um, and then I thought, I got through it and I thought, well, that's kind of a downer. It's a little, you know, and I'm just kind of leaving you, hey, we, we all hope for better times. We all hope for people to get along better and work along uh, in, a, in a better way for the better of our, of our world and country, of course. Um, but then I walked into the other room where I'm sitting from now. I told my wife, I said, you know, I think I'm going to add one more chapter about what mm -hmm. we believe about life after death, because those funeral services as our liturgy tends to do, really bespoke of eternal life. And everybody who spoke in those services, not just the pastor, but everybody, the statesman, the secretary of state, the, you know, all those people who spoke, all mentioned heaven, all mentioned the afterlife. And um, I thought it, well, either we believe that or we don't. And uh, the president believed it, Barbara believed it, and they were ready for that next great chapter that we all hope for. You know, uh, at a funeral recently, a Jewish friend of mine was there, Jill, and she said, listening to us talk about heaven, she said, you know, uh, I really like what you guys say. She said, it's all very, very comforting, this whole concept of heaven. And I said, you know, Jill, I'm glad you found comfort, but we don't say it to give comfort. We, we say it because we actually believe it to be right. real. But related to the experience of death, another part of your book, um, and I, I wondered about it. We all, anyone who's in pastoral ministry is going to run into people who have to deal with the, the loss of a child, as as George and Barbara did with Rob. A lot of people, you know, draw comfort from their faith and they they accept it. But I've had as many people, Russ, say, you know, uh, God's got a lot of answering to do. I, I, I'm so angry uh, at God for taking my child. Do you know why Barbara and, and George were able to deal with this unbelievable loss of their own child? They would say it was their faith. You, you mentioned the two the two moments that those of us who were around them, I think this wasn't a private, I mean, it was quite public about this, the two hardest moments in their life. One was the 92 defeat. That was just really tough. But the other, and I don't think they put them in the same category, obviously. The other was the death of Robin. And But they would both say, without question, the thing that got us through were friends, family, and our faith. And, um, you know, Barbara says one of the most incredible spiritual moments she had in her entire life was the moments after the death of Robin and brushing her hair. And she said, you know, she never felt in her life a, a more intense moment than that moment. And, I, you know, as you know, and I know that and I whenever I have to be with somebody to walk them through that journey, which is the toughest journey a pastor has to do. Uh, and I, I have not lived through the death of a child, and I pray I never do. And I often will say, I don't want to trade places with you, but I am here to assure you of God's love and God's love for your child. And I learned a lot from my mentor, John Claypool, who I mentioned before, who lost his daughter. His daughter died of leukemia as well. And John said it took him years to come to terms with the fact that he was doing this for a living. And, you know, and he said, I, at one point, I finally had to decide I could be mad at God the rest of my life for taking my daughter, or I could be grateful to God for the rest of my life that I had her for the 10 years I had her and I chose gratitude. And, um, and, and the grief, as you know, never leaves a parent who loses a child, never leaves. It's always there in some way, but I've always looked with some strength at these people who 
choose gratitude over grievance. And, and my mentor did that. And I think the Bushes did that. And they were looking forward. The Bush, the, the question when we talked about heaven, which mm-hmm. we did on a number of occasions, personally, the president and I. And, uh, and as I, I mentioned this in the book, we one particular conversation where we, we sat down and uh, he had had a bad sick spell. And, uh, and he was, I'm sure he was thinking about leaving this life for the next. And so we got into a conversation about heaven one day. He started asking questions. What do you think it's like? What do you, and, and, but then he get real kind of, and he looked at me and said, now, will Robin be there? Yeah. And I said, absolutely, Mr. President. He said, will I, will I be with her? And I said, absolutely, Mr. President. And he said, well, how old will she be? And I said, well, now that I don't know. <laughs> that I don't know, Mr. President. But I do know that you will, you will be reunited with her. And of course, Barbara preceded the president. And so that conversation came up again in the few short months between her death and his. And he said, well, I said, well, I see Barbara again. I said, you're going to see Barbara and Robin again, you know. Russ Levinson has been our guest and witness to uh, this dignity, this great concept of dignity is what the book's about. But uh, I'm glad, Russ, we had you on because I I think for a lot of us Catholic folks, uh, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, our image of anyone who's an Episcopalian priest is is, uh, Grantchester. And uh, (laughs) you certainly broaden the scope for sure. But um, I want to thank you for for everything you do in terms of your writing and preaching. And I guess where I'd like to leave last question would be, um, with all the ups and downs and all the challenges of ministry and the highs and lows, uh, looking back on these uh, 30-some-odd years of your ministry, would you do it all again? Absolutely. In fact, there are days, there are days when I, I, I think if I woke up and I was in my first year of seminary, which is a three-year journey, I would think, I'll do, I'll do it all again. I, I, absolutely. I wouldn't, there's not a day I've gone, that's gone by that I thought I shouldn't have done this. And I absolutely, have, as I said to you earlier, there have been very hard days. They're, they're hard days. I think, and I'm sure you've done this, funerals are hard. And they, and they don't get easier, they get harder. Uh, funerals get harder because you're, you're walking in the door with a whole cloud of witnesses when you do a funeral. Um, but, you know, uh, to be invited into the most intimate parts of people's lives and to, and to help is by the grace of God to bring God's presence into those moments is such an incredible gift. And I have to say to do that with the president and bar, but I will, I'll also say this. Some people say, what did you learn the most from pre- the president and Barbara? And I said, you know, almost every time I was with them, I would leave thinking I need to be a better Christian <laughs> because, because, because they're the way in which they manifested their faith often trumped my own. And uh, I, I I hope that's what people get when they walk away from reading the book. I'd like to uh, say to my listeners and watchers, please get hold of Witness to Dignity. It's a great other side of the Barbara and George H.W. Bush we thought we knew because the story of faith and love and dedication and kindness and putting faith into action. And uh, happily, the man who walked through a lot of that journey with them is the author of the book, and he knows he knows intimately and truly who they are. And I thank you for sharing who they are and what they, they meant to you. And uh, I think we all come away from the book being or trying to be better Christians. Russ Levinson, thank you so much for being on Personally Speaking, and uh, I'm so glad you're in ministry too. Thank you, Monsignor. God bless you, and thank you for this opportunity. 
as we end today's program. I want to thank you. And if you need to reach out to me for any reason, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. This program, aside from being on the Catholic channel on Sirius XM, is also on YouTube. Please hit like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Asante. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.